In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In some ways, that's the, the theme of the entirety of 1 John, um, summed up in a sentence. Beloved, those who are the beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. God dwells in us. And his love is perfected in us. It's matured in us as we love one another. By this we know that we abide in God and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And it's important to say there that confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, um, think about Jesus um, in his crucifixion, specifically in his death, um, that this is God's Son, this is who God is. Whoever confesses that Jesus is, that is the crucified Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus is the Son of God, the revelation of God, the, the manifestation of God's character. Whoever confesses that, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Notice that repetition, God is love. By this is love perfected or matured with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected or made mature in love. We love because he, that is God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so a few things I want to emphasize here, as I've said, the basic argument that John is making in a kind of circular fashion uh, through this section of his epistle is that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and notice all the persons of the Trinity are named in this section. This is a very significant um, portion of the New Testament in terms of uh, Trinitarian theology. Um, that we know that um, we abide in God because he's given us his spirit, that the Father is the one who sends the Son, that God in himself and his trying nature is love. 
God is love. God's love for us, John then argues um, in several ways, several times, is shown to us in Christ and Jesus being the Son of God, the one who has come to save the world, um, the one who has um, become a propitiation uh, for our sins um, in his death. And then finally, as John says multiple times in this short passage, um, the love that God is, the love that God has for us, um, is, um, compels us, it, it transforms us, it makes us love one another, um, such that um, if we don't love one another, then we can't say that we know God or know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Um, that's the essential argument that John has for us in this um, section. It's a of course, very simple argument, um, but it's also profound and something that we um, live out our entire lives. Um, I think I've mentioned this story earlier, but the church father Ignatius, um, who um, um, knew um, uh, John, um, he said that towards the end of his life, um, John went around, um, carried on a litter, and he would say, um, little children, let us love one another. That was the sum of his teaching um, um, at the end of his life. I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly it flows um, directly from um, the teaching that he gives in his three um, epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all have that command um, for us to love one another. And um, it really is the sum of the Christian life in many ways. And certainly John keeps repeating it for that reason um, throughout his epistle. Um, little children, let us love one another. That's enough. So I'm going to just think about this um, section a little bit theologically, and then we can take some questions. Um, sp specifically, I want to think about this um, triune nature of God and what it means that God is love. Uh, Peter Lighthart, who has a commentary in 1 John, um, he writes on this passage. He says, this is worth thinking about, uh, to say that God is love assumes that God is triune. So if God is love, then God is triune. Those things are connected, they're linked to one another. God can be love only because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be genuine love, love requires an object, a beloved, an other. Love is love only if it is directed out, only if it seeks the good of another. Allah cannot be love. Right? Allah is famously not triune. Um, he is alone. Neither can the deist God of the 18th century, who many Christians have confused with the God revealed in Jesus and the Bible. Or we might talk about the God of what is it, moral therapeutic deism um, today that people describe and sort of assume in our culture. Um, um, that's usually the God that they're talking about when they um, speak of God in our broader culture. Uh, but the true God, the living God, um, John says, the God, I'm sorry, John, Peter Lightheart says, but the true God, the living God, the God revealed in Jesus and the scriptures is love. Um, we can speak of him in this way. I think it's fascinating that we can say with John that God is love. Um, we, can, we can summarize him in that way, his character. Um, earlier, you'll recall in John's epistle, he says, God is light. Um, God is light and God is love. Um, those are 
It's a great way to think about what John's argument is in this epistle, that God is light and that God is love. Uh, The true God, Lightheart says, lives in an eternal communion of perfect love and joy and peace, right? From all eternity, this has been the case. Um, uh, Never a beginning, never an end. Um, This is the most basic fundamental fact of reality um, is that there is an eternal God who has eternally lived um, in a communion of perfect love and joy and peace. The Father loving the Son through the Spirit and the Son returning love to the Father in the same Spirit. And this was true, of course, apart from creation, apart from our existence at all. This is who God has always been and will always be, a perfect communion of love and joy and peace. Um, The Father loving the Son by the Spirit, the Son returning the love to the Father in that same Spirit. And because God is eternally and essentially love, we can really, according to John, according to the Scriptures, we can say in in a full way, God is love, and we can be speaking properly about God when we say that, um, because this is who he is in his essence. He can love us, therefore, with an eternal love. His love for us is the expression of his deepest character. I think that's really fascinating to think about, that this is who God is in a fundamental way. God is love. He is love because he is triune. Um, because he is uh, in love in and of himself as the, the three persons of the Trinity love one another. God is not playing a role when he acts as our father. Our loving bridegroom, the spirit, looks like I maybe left out of passes there. Our loving bridegroom, the son, um, um, the spirit who is love. God is not adopting, oppose, or pretending. When God displays love, he is displaying himself. The father loves us as his children because he is eternally loved a son in the spirit. The spirit loves us as brothers because he has eternally loved his father in the spirit. The spirit loves us because he has eternally been the bond of love between the father and the son. Loving another is not a new experience when God created the world. It's an extension of the love that Father, Son, and Spirit have always had for one another. And this is um, borne out, of course, in the Gospel of John, particularly as Jesus speaks um, of the Father. Again and again, if you read the Gospel of John, many times um, um, Jesus says um, that the Father loves the Son. Um, It's one of his... Uh, repeated statements throughout that epistle or that gospel, which is really fascinating that he talks about that so much. And then in John 14, he talks about his own love for the Father. This is um, during the upper room discourse. He says, um, uh, rise and let us go from here. Um, I go now um, so that the world might know that the Son loves the Father. Um, He goes to his death, right? He prepares for that. Um, and, and so there's this dialogue, this discussion um, throughout the Gospel of John about um, the love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father. And then in John 17, you have that amazing prayer that Jesus gives um, uh, right before his arrest. And in that prayer, he talks about how the Father has loved him since before the foundation of the world. He's speaking to the Father, reminding him of this, exulting in it. And then he says um, um, that he wishes um, that, he, he, that the Father would make um, his disciples one, even as he and the Father are one. 
um, because he has loved them with the same love that he has loved Jesus with, um, which is a really remarkable thing to think about, right? That we're, we're brought into that love um, that God has in and of himself. And it's, it's in that, in that unity, which that unity is summed up in the command, love one another, that John gives here, um, we flows out of that love that exists in God. Any thoughts or questions about that kind of theological concept that's discussed here in this passage? Yes, ma'am, Kathina. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and Jesus is um, coming, as John talks about here, based off of Jesus' own teaching in John 3. It's because God so loved the world um, that he sent his son, right, to die. Um, so the son, the son's coming is the manifestation of the father's love for the world. Um, but for Jesus, you're right, it's not so much emphasized his love for the world, but his love for the Father, um, his, his obedience, his pouring out of that love in a sense in himself. Yeah, Eric. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the spirit is that overflow of love between the father and the son. I think that's a great way to put it. And certainly that's the way we talk about creation, that creation um, was not a necessity. It was not necessary for God to create the world, but it was um, fitting. Um, it is entirely in God's character and himself um, to create, um, to create another object for love. And for, as Edward says, the reason God created the world was to provide a spouse for his son um, that he might um, enlarge, so to speak, um, his own communion of love um, through um, physical uh, creation, um, through men and women in particular, which is a yeah, it's a fascinating thing to think about the way in which that is, that is who God is. It's, it's almost as if the universe could be none other than it is, right? Um, if we start with the premise that God is love. Um, everything else flows out of that. Yes, sir.
Yeah, it is. It does cut to the heart. And I think that profession of faith in Christ as the Son of God, the important thing to see there is that, that that's the mark of um, faith and of abiding with God and knowing God, not just as some kind of arbitrary test of our, that we believe God is you know, not a liar and that he tells the truth. Um, but Jesus, it's, that profession is so important because we, John is teaching us that Jesus' incarnation, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, his resurrection, in some ways particularly his death, right, his propitiation, is the revelation of who God is. Um, and, you know, as John says in his prologue, right, no one has ever seen God, um, but he who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Um, the invisible God has been made manifest in Jesus Christ, and in a particular way, right? He doesn't just come as the sort of divine man who uh, floats above things and, you know, has whatever, you know, lightning bolts out of his um, forehead or something, but he, he manifests himself in us and with us. Um, and he reveals himself most um, uh, fundamentally in his death on the cross, I mean, his crucifixion. This is, this is the true revelation of the character of God. That's, that's the heart of what John is saying here when he says that we must profess Christ as the Son of God. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we, and you know, we, it's hard today to, to recapture the scandal of that, what it was like in the first century to say that God's son um, is a crucified Jew um, that was treated and died and was humiliated in that way, that that's, that's who God is. But that's what John is saying is essential for us to understand because in that we know that God is love. Yeah, Eric. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we should ask uh, someone like Mike Benzel um, that question. Um, I, in my understanding of Greek philosophy, which is not, um, uh, uh, you know, deep or super significant, I would. It, it seems to me that it's a. It's a scandalous or surprising thing to say. It's very different from Stoic philosophy or. Um, you know, Aristotelian thought or whatever. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Good. Well, let me um, let me talk just for a few minutes about this idea of um, that John has and what he says in verses seventeen, um, or I guess sixteen through eighteen. Basically, I'll talk about this briefly. Then I want to do a little bit of a deep dive in what it actually means to love one another, since that's such a big thing for John. So sixteen to eighteen, John says, "So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love, dwells in love, um, lives in love, abides in God, dwells in God, um, and God dwells or abides in Him." Um, by this is love perfected or made mature with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Um, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been made mature or perfected in love. It's a really fascinating um, kind of seg or you know side path here that John takes for a moment, um, and, and it's really interesting to me. So essentially, um, he's saying that we we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us, um, and I think in some ways that is that's what we're doing as Christians throughout our lives with God. We're coming to know and believe the love that God has for us. Um, it's something that, of course, we confess intellectually um, as believers. Um, it's a kind of fundamental aspect of the Christian profession of faith. But I think it's also something that we grow in over time, um, that we become more confident in. Um, this is something that, this, this is one of the main, I think, activities of the Spirit. I'm gonna talk about the Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. What does the Spirit do? Um, the Spirit, persuades us of the love that God has for us. Um, And he does that slowly and uh, through the details, um, the trials, the sufferings of our lives in particular. In many ways, I think that's why um, the Lord leads us in the paths that he leads us in terms of suffering and difficulty is that we might learn of his love for us in new ways. And certainly as we think about um, what is Christian discipleship um, in terms of the liturgy on Sunday mornings and the worship service and uh, word and sacrament and prayer, all of these are means of grace that are given to us by the Spirit um, so that the Spirit might persuade us um, that we um, can know and believe the love that God has for us, right? Um, and I think that really is the sign of a, a, a Christian person that is uh, been made new, that is matured in their faith. It's someone who knows that God loves them. I mean, in some ways it's really that simple. Um, and and I know that that's not as easy as it is just for me to say that, right? Um, um, to know and believe that God loves you um, in Christ, that he's always loved you, that God is love. Um, that is a summary of his character. I mean, that's the fundamental thing. And, and I, you, when people know and believe this, like they're transformed, you know? Um, they can do anything. They can endure anything. Um, um, they can love anyone. Um, it's remarkable when you see people transformed by this reality um, of who God is. And I really do think that's a great picture of what the Spirit does in us. That's what sanctification is all about, is knowing and believing the love that God has uh, for us. Um, uh, John says, by this is love perfected with us, so that the, the love that God has for us is meant to be perfected as we believe it. Like we somehow, it grows in us, right? Where our, our, our experience of it at least grows. And this is meant to lead to confidence for the day of judgment, um, because as he is, so also are we in this world. I think that's a fascinating statement, right? I mean, if we are confident about the day of judgment, what is there to be afraid of, right? Um, if I am utterly confident in the love of God for me and the propitiation of Jesus um, for my sins, such that um, the day of judgment is not something I dread, but rather anticipate and, and look forward to and pray for. Remember the, how John concludes uh, Revelation, right? Come soon, Lord Jesus, he says. And he means come soon and judge the world, judge me, um, judge all things. Um, 
I mean, that's just a beautiful picture, right, of the way in which we know that the love of God is being perfected in us as we anticipate with joy and anticipation um, the day of judgment, um, as we have confidence for that. There is no fear in love, John says, but perfect love casts out fear. And again, I think just, you know, this is a reiteration of what I'm saying, um, that if we know that God's love is for us, his perfect love, then we won't be afraid, right? It casts out fear. It casts out fear of God. Um, It casts out fear of one another. Um, It casts out fear of death, um, fear of judgment in a a punitive way, um, all of those things. And I think that really, that link between being loved and not being afraid is really fascinating. It's one worth thinking about. And I I just want to testify that I've seen this, right? I've been witness to people who have become convinced that God loves them such that they're no longer afraid. And it's a profound thing. That's the strongest thing in the world. Um, And it's something to think about for yourself. Um, and, And there's a, you know, there's a, Um, there's a spectrum here, right? Uh, Fear has to do with punishment, John says, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Um, And this is the reality that none of us have been fully perfected in love um, quite yet. Uh, We will. um, At the time of death, our souls are made perfect in holiness and go into God's presence. Um, uh, But but now we're still, this is is a a trajectory that we're on, um, learning the love of God for us so that we won't be afraid. Um, we won't fear punishment. Um, any thoughts about any of that? That dynamic of the Christian life? Yeah, Eric and the Melindy. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's related to what you were saying earlier about the Spirit. I mean, the love that God has for us is not a sterile love, right? It's not an impotent love. It's a love that transforms us into those who love one another, who forgive, like you say, who serve, who pour out ourselves um, for um, particularly um, our brothers and sisters in the church, um, but certainly our families and our neighbors and those things as well. Um, that, that's what it looks like to be transformed by the love of God. Um, to know that God loves you means that you love others in sacrificial ways and ways that God loves you. Um, yeah. Yeah, Melindy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So how do we, what does John mean when he says um, in verse uh, uh, nine, um, in this, the love of God was made manifest or revealed among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, it reminds me of language that John uses elsewhere, that Jesus uses in his gospel of abiding with Christ, of living with him. Um, this idea of union with Christ that we talk a lot about um, reminds me of um, the portion that we use in our liturgy each Sunday from Colossians 3, where we talk about Christ being our life. Um, and it's through that vital, organic, um, living union that we have with Jesus that we live in this world. Um, that's how I would describe it and think about it. I think it's a reference to that, that union we have with Christ that's sealed by the Spirit. That is the most true thing about any of us um, who are in Christ and God, um, is that you are, you are actually united by the Spirit um, to Jesus and so that we live through him. Um, his, his present life at the right hand of the Father, his eternal life that he has received as a, as a first fruit um, for the life that we all um, we'll receive in the last day is something that is given to us through our our connection, our vital connection, organic connection to Him. Yeah. Um, Tyler, then uh, um, Kim. Oh, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Mm, yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I was totally off the grid the last two weeks. And so um, I, we got home Friday night and I discovered that Tim Keller had died um, a week before. And um, which, yeah, I mean, I knew that he had been very sick. Obviously, we probably many of you knew that uh, with pancreatic cancer, I think. And um and the Lord took him to himself. But yeah, it's a beautiful thing um, for him to communicate that, that, that he, there's, there's no, you know, you look at someone like Keller and you think, you know, what if he had lived another 15 years or something? <clears throat> what could he be produced for the church? Or, um, but he wasn't thinking about those things, you know? Um, and that's not how God views us. God doesn't view us in these kind of utilitarian ways, right? What can we produce? Um, he loves us and he builds that love in us for himself and such that, yeah, when that love has been perfected or has been come close to being perfected in us, we, we want to be with him. We want to see Jesus. And I think that is a profoundly beautiful thing. And I've, I've known people like that, you know, at the end of their life. Um, no fear, like not a, not a smidge of fear. Um, they just want to be with the Lord. And that's, man. That's a powerful thing. It really is. It really is. I hope that we can all say of that of ourselves as we get older, as we confront death in different ways in our own bodies, in our own lives. Anything else? Other comments? Yes, sir. Mr. Pyle. Mm-hmm. We don't really see that so much in the Old Testament as a as a John who likes us to be in the New Testament and the picture. And there's 
Yeah. 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 No, that's that's very true, Eric. I think there is a there is a sense in which the epistles um, they have to follow after the gospels after the narratives that record the manifestation of God's love in Christ. Um, and there is, a, there is a, an intimate quality to all of the epistles of the apostles um, <clears throat> that I think is, is unusual um, in terms of the scope of the scriptures and the different genres of literature, the ways that God addresses his people. And, and certainly that is related to um, what the apostle says in Hebrews 1, that. Um, in former days, God spoke um, to his people through the prophets, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us now through his son. And, that, and certainly we should read the epistles, this is important, I think, for us as we interpret them, as the continuing words of Jesus, right? Um, in a particular way. I mean, not that the Old Testament aren't the, also the words of Jesus, they are. Um, but the, the crucified, risen, ascended Christ who sends out his spirit, um, is speaking to us in intimate ways through his apostles, through um, the men that he prepared and trained and manifested himself to in his resurrection, um, who he gave special portions of his spirit in particular ways that they might speak on his behalf. And I, I think that is unique. And um, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense that 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 really and and you know. Within Christian history, um, the epistles have definitely you know relative to their volume or their size, received um, more attention, you know, per capita, so to speak, than other parts of the, uh, the Bible. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe that's part of because of the, the way that Jesus is speaking through them in particular ways. Uh, yes, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, you can make argument that, um, you know, the prophets are, in a sense, the epistles of the Old Testament, um, I think. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. But there, there is a different quality um, to the New Testament epistles, for sure. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up? I've given you on the back side, we don't have time to go through this now, but um, just a, a listing of different passages in the New Testament that talk about what it means to love one another. Um, John 
uses that phrase so frequently, and maybe we'll discuss this some when we come back in September um, to look at these passages again at the very end of First John. But I think it's important as we think about that command that John gives in First John to love one another um, that Jesus gives, of course, um, particularly in his upper room discourse before his death. What does that really mean to love one another? I think it can be summed up in the way that Jesus talks about in John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Um, Certainly, whatever we think about loving one another, whatever that means, it has to be um, uh, patterned after the love of Jesus for us, right? Um, and, And this is part of why reading the Gospels is so important. We never really get beyond reading the Gospels as Christians, um, because in that, um, not only Jesus' death, but in his life and his teaching and his interactions with men and women and children, um, we see what it means to love. Um, It's manifested for us. It's demonstrated for us. Um, As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you are also to love one another. And I do think that's a fundamental aspect of what it means um, to obey this command is to it requires a deep reflection on the life of Christ and the way that he loved and then to pour ourselves out for others in a similar way. Um, but then I've, what I've done here is I've summarized or I've taken a lot of passages from elsewhere in the New Testament that talks about love of the brethren and some of the things that are emphasized there, affection, showing honor, doing no wrong, serving one another. Um, it's just something to look at. We can talk about more maybe in the fall. Anyone want to have a final word for Sunday school year of 22-23? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, as we abide with him. No, that's beautiful, Rachel. I appreciate that. It's well put. Yeah, God is love. John doesn't say, you then must be love. Um, um, he says, because God is love, you are loved with this eternal um, love that God has for you. And out of that love, you you then love others. But yeah, there's a different, there's a, you're not called to, love is, love is not something that we become in ourselves, um, by ourselves or somehow. Um, we become um, loved in God as we abide with him. And it's out of that that we imitate the love that God has uh, for the world. Yeah, that's great. It's a good word to end on. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for um, the reality that you are love that we can truly speak about you in that way, um, that it is a summing up of your character. Uh, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have eternally um, loved your son, um, that there never has been a time, Father, um, that the universe was not predicated on this reality, the love that you have um, for your son. Um, Father, we thank you um, that you manifested that love for us by sending him 
into this world to take upon our flesh, to become one of us, and to die a death of a criminal on our behalf, and to be raised to life everlasting. And Father, this day, as we remember especially the pouring out of your Holy Spirit, uh, may we indeed be those who abide in your love, um, those who are transformed and perfected by it, um, such that we are not afraid of anything, um, such that we are those who love according to the commandment and example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.